Welcome to HBW's Over the Counter podcast. I'm David Ridley and I'll be chatting with industry experts and insiders about the latest trends, issues and intelligence in consumer healthcare. In this episode, we speak to the Exponential Club's Nick Tate about the impact of artificial intelligence and digitalisation on consumer health and wellness. Having worked in both marketing and the OTC industries, most recently leading Halion's incubator business, Halion Next, Tate is perfectly placed to explain where industry is now with regards to digital health and where it might be in the near future. We discuss the importance of data interoperability, of dialogue between governments and companies and consumers, of chat GPT and AI anxiety, and of the need for philosophers. Hi Nick, uh, welcome to the Over the Counter podcast. It's really nice to catch up with you. I think um, it's been just under a year since we last chatted. We did a, an interview last year, last April, didn't we? How have you been? Yeah, goodness me. It's, uh, it, when you say that, it's crazy isn't it, to think how quickly time goes. But yeah, I'm really well, thank you. Um, I think when we met, um, I was the VP of Digital Innovation, Digital Health at Halion. Um, formerly come GSK Consumer Healthcare. I was there for about six years, um, running all types of new product services <coughs> and, um, and platforms for, for Halion. I actually left there in December last year. I've now set up a thing called the Exponential Club, um, which is really what I'm excited about is helping, you know, organisations drive more ambitious brands and innovation and experiences um, to create both better business outcomes in the case of digital health and in the case of digital health, sort of better human centered health outcomes as well. So there are so many amazing, complex, but exciting questions out there at the moment. And uh, that's what I'd love to work on. And I'm sure we're going to get into some of that today as well. Yes, well, I've, um, you know, for our audience, I've sent Nick quite an extensive list of uh, questions <laughs> given his uh, experience. So, uh, yeah, I feel a bit sorry for him. But anyway, we'll get straight into it. I think that the first thing is really, as you said, you've had a bit of experience um, in consumer healthcare in digital. Yes. You know, in, in your experience, what do you think, looking at the industry as a whole, how engaged do you think the industry is? How far along are they on this kind of transformational journey? Yeah, I mean, it depends on, it's a great question. I, I think it really depends on which bit of the industry and which aspect of digital, because the consumer health industry is, is very broad. And goodness me, digital transformation is a term which it's full of meaning. Um, in my experience, I mean, I think kind of large businesses, uh, and, and just to say before I was at Halion, you know, I spent, I was I was a large consultancy. I spent two years in startups. And prior to that, I was sort of kind of 12 years in creative and digital agencies. So I've seen these problems um, and opportunities in, in many ways on many different sides of the table. Um, but I think in, in broad, in broad, in broad strokes, large businesses continue to do all they can to keep up with the pace of exponential change um, across kind of front, middle and back office transformation. And, you know, but we all know that that pace feels too quick. You only have to open up LinkedIn every day to feel the rate of change. Um, I think that, you know, regulators, governments, clinicians, brands, they all see huge advantages, um, whether that's in new ways to engage, whether that's in new ways to treat, new ways to evidence, new ways to pay. Um, but I think we're far from experiencing a tidal wave of change yet. Um, I think everybody is engaged, but it's slow. 
sometimes it's for really obvious important reasons sometimes it's probably for quite frustrating reasons uh, i'd say the biggest um reasons though the biggest blockers are usually coming back to technical debt and just the the right data but in the wrong architectures um so people really want to change but in order to change you actually need to slow down before you speed up you need to organize properly and and i think that's what a lot of companies um, are really um are really struggling with and facing into at the moment yeah you mentioned this i think last time we spoke that was a bit of a theme data um i mean i don't know a lot about this but I, you know from what i've read the kind of quality of the data how it's stored and how it's like described or co you know well, yeah. how translatable it is like different data sets um from what i understand is a really big issue and of course when you're talking about health you've got all of these different sources of data um, and i think everyone's thinking about you know these very holistic uh, ways of looking after yourself but that's only going to work if all these different bits can talk to each other yeah right. and in, in terms of there's, there's a huge obsession around um around the need to get more data um <clears throat> Too often there's, in my experience, there's the conversation around what data do we, you have to understand what data you have to then understand what data you need. And actually, from my experience, you need a reductive data strategy. It's not about having all the data, it's about having the right data that's organised in the right way, that you can understand very clear value. Um, when we think, and I'm sure we're going to get into it, when we think about, you know, the advent of AI and Gen AI into large businesses, really the conversation is around what are the what are the most interesting and useful use cases um the op the, the opportunity to do amazing things um is everywhere the um the strategy to do the right things that makes the most sense is what the most important conversation is and that's hard you know it's hard to simplify those things down and then make some really difficult choices but you're absolutely right you know the taxonomy of, of data how it's structured how it's labeled how it's cleaned um, how it's synthesized, how it's shared, the provision of um, the, the, the provision of kind of um, privacy and the right regulations around all those things incredibly important, but it all starts with the right data in the right place to do the right stuff with. Um, otherwise, you'll just spin on your wheel for a, for a long time, you know. Would you say that companies are, are kind of in the mode of thinking more data, the better? You know, we're thinking you know we can have an app we can have a wearable we can do this we can do that and this will give us more data and then that will give us more information is it is it just more of a kind of more is better philosophy at the moment i think i think there's definitely a, i think there's definitely a philosophy around that yeah um you know if i go back five to six years ago um everyone was saying data is the new oil which it absolutely is um and it certainly makes the world go around faster um but i think you every business has a unique need and um and data one person's treasure is another person's rubbish so going off and just you know um gathering data for the sake of it isn't right um the other thing to say is that i think that so much of the conversation within health is around data interoperability and the reality is is that you might not need to collect the data yourself you just might might not need to have the right partnerships with people and be very clear about why that partnership's right for everybody but the world of everyday health and consumer health isn't going to be solved by one company or by one massive data set it's going to be solved by everyone coming together around consumer problems and patient problems and and creating a scenario and solution which is better than what we've got already but that takes a village it doesn't take one mega data power <laughs> to do that you know 
Yeah, I mean, again, this is another theme, wasn't it, around partnerships, and I think we'll come to this. Um, but would you say also that governments have a, a big role to play here? It's not like, you know, companies, even in partnership with each other, are going to be able to do to do that, what you're saying, sort the data out, make it connected, etc. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, um, you know, population health, um, population health data is a, is a, is a massive opportunity um, for governments to work with both public and, and private sectors um, to find better solutions. A really good example of that, I think, is, um, but they've got to be clear as to what they get, what data they're getting, why they're getting, and what the evidence is. If you look at, um, I think one of the healthiest countries in the world is Norway. Um, if I remember rightly, um, one of the reasons for that you could argue is because they're very clear on um, they're very clear on the data that they want to collect, why they want to collect it, and what the and and what the um, benefit is of collecting the data and what they're going to do to use it. So, you know, they're very overt on what data and and, and why. Um, I think they've also done a really good job, and I think the and countries need to do more of this, but a really good job in both talking about education what data why the data and then the regulation needs to follow that and it needs to be a two-way discussion no one works well if regulation is slapped onto you without really a reason rhyme or reason as to why it's happening and without it being a two-way dialogue and i think that you know we live in such an open world now and the, 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 the conversation around what is my data versus what is your data what is private versus what is public is a really fascinating one when it comes to health, um, you know, you consider something like, would people be willing to give up their health data um, if it meant that it would if it meant it would benefit them in some way? A absolutely. And um, when it starts to exclude them from things because it shows that they are being basically negligent to their health, is something completely different. So if you look at something like I don't know, and I know they don't do this, but if you look at something like Vitality Insurance, which is essentially health telematics. Um, you know, if you if you're giving away an Apple Watch, so we can we can monitor you and reward you for great behaviours. Well, that's going to work both ways. And funnily, people will start to feel very odd about that. <laughs> that you know, um, something will be restricted and taken away from them. Um, so I think there is a huge opportunity for governments to set the right standards within 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 um, health data and data provision. But it needs to be done in a way where people are very very clear as to what the benefit is and what would happen if they don't do it. Yeah, I think again we'll we'll dig into this a bit more. I think, but one of the when you were talking about the pace of change, um, you know, last year, and actually, I think that this was since we we spoke. Um, no, I think they came out didn't it, at the end of the year before Chat GPT. Yeah. But I think the Im the impact of that was felt more and more throughout the year. The realization of, you know, what it meant, or the well, more I'd say the kind of hype about what it meant, but mm. people started using it, and then it the kind of penny dropped about how it could be used uh, for various purposes, like in journalism, for example, we had uh, yeah. newspapers starting to think about, I don't know what they were called, like, you know, AI, AI powered reporters or whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but that's a good example, isn't it, of how quickly things can develop, at least in the kind of public consciousness as well. And then all of those worries coming out of the woodwork. Yeah. Um, I mean, just from your experience, what do you think the impact of that was on consumer health or has there been any impact so far? Yeah, I think that, I mean, I think every company is different. Um, I think it's a huge and helpful, I think it's, it's created a huge and helpful discussion. Um, but there is a massive amount of mystique and therefore concern 
about about just understanding what a large language model is how it works why it works how it learns and getting out of this almost black box methodology and i think there's been a huge amount of education as to how llms work more so than any other i'm pretty sure that when faraday you know and, and everyone was inventing kind of electricity and the light bulb they didn't sit down for hours and do streams of content as to how electricity works people just went oh that's nice um well, i don't know maybe they did um so i think there's been a lot of conversation around it's what you know then you move on to the conversation of so what and it's really comfortable for businesses to spin in that space of you know so what what does it mean for us um, I think that you've seen a lot of really interesting companies who are partnering with large tech firms to get into sort of early stage experiments, um, being very clear on the use cases. I think now what we're seeing is in, in consumer healthcare companies is they're now moving into the, you know, okay, how do we now then scale the promising results? And how do we deal with the rate of change? You know, ChatGPT yesterday, so it's the 12th of January today. So Thursday, the 11th of January, they launched um, and announced the ChatGPT store, which is essentially an app store for ChatGPT, um, where they'll have very um, use case specific pointed LLMs, which is very different to a very generalized LLM. Um, I think the rate of change I heard about, I, th I think um, was in the summer time, someone said to me last year that, you know, Moore's law dictates that um, technology reaches huge leaps in advance every two years. With generative AI, they reckon it's something like every 80 days. So how does a business, a large healthcare company, or actually any company for that matter, deal with the ability to educate people with such a rate of change and deal with that change management? I think for consumer healthcare companies, there is certainly a massive opportunity within front-end innovation, within data-driven research, within insight, within idea creation, within execution, within coding, with helping people, helping amazing people generate amazing ideas, strategize which ones are the right ones to do, get something out the door from an early stage of uh, concept and then and then ultimately get it kind of flown through to, you know, in, in, into production, as well as all the operational efficiencies through the business. You know, if, if so much about everyday health is around education, then to your point around kind of content, um, content creation is is something that starts to become um you know quite commoditized um so it can become cheaper and quicker likewise with kind of i don't know programmatic marketing for instance you can start to reduce costs um of your on your marketing efficiency but on your marketing budget and, and and free up money and more importantly brain space for people to work on the far richer far more intelligent um far more human um, brand marketing campaigns, for instance. Um, so I think there are there are huge there are huge impacts and, and huge opportunities. I think I think large companies are sat there still a little bit in the what do we do? It's moving so quick, and I don't think that's just a healthcare thing. I, I think that's an everything thing. I think that's what companies are dealing with that at the moment. I think you yeah you pointed to quite a few different actual applications, didn't you? I think it's sometimes it's difficult to map out exactly what digital health can mean because it has certain associations isn't it i mean you know for a while the only thing we really had to, to write about was uh, apps and wearables yeah. as a kind of example of it and that's like an obvious thing and now you've got chat gpt so it makes you think about the possibilities of um you know interfaces with brands or healthcare professionals or whatever mm -hmm. but you know a chatbot basically but like a, a super chat bot but you could just go instead of googling 
I feel like this. You can have an interaction with yeah. a large large language model and find out about conditions, solutions, etc. But then, like you said, there's also the back end stuff. You know, the all of the ways that um, AI and digitalization can make R and D and also just operations more efficient. Mm. You know, it's just a it's a huge like I say it's a huge thing, isn't it? I mean, think, you're a company, think, you're just thinking. How, where do I start, really? Well, I think, the, and I think the smart companies, and certainly what I'm, I'm excited about, and what I was talking latterly when I was at Helion was, how do you start to link those things together so that, you know, really marketing um, should be around demand generation and growth, and 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 that's the growth of the whole company, not just selling more products. Um, that's about how do you transform how a business interacts with its with its with its staff or with its partners with its consumers with its customers and so how do you link this red thread of, of insight and data through the organization and and, and and create something that's greater than the sum of its parts i mean i think that's just extraordinarily exciting for any anybody in business at the moment uh, and particularly anybody in in innovation and disruptive innovation to think you know we've got this supercomputer in our in our hands that can answer or at least pull on information to give us a, a good enough answer to at least start a conversation with and make things more real for us and more quickly so then really at that point it really becomes around choice and what your choice architectures to make sure that you're focusing you know your time and effort and money on the most valuable things which is amazing you know uh, and, and particularly within you know with, within within consumer healthcare that definition of that term is changing so much and consumers expectations of brands and of businesses is changing so much it's not really being driven by consumer healthcare it's been driven by other sectors you know my definition of what good service looks like you know doesn't come from a healthcare brand it comes from amazon which arguably was becoming a healthcare brand so um you know these these changes and these uh, impacts and effects um often happen outside of our industry um but i think that you know things like chat gpt or, or or different llms or different ai engines are providing people a huge opportunity to do incredible work which i just think is so i think is so exciting yeah definitely i think just just to stay with chat gpt just for a minute longer um when it comes to consumers or the public but in this case uh, people that are interacting you know with health brands and whatever there's, I think there's a big gap between um, like use and understanding, isn't there? There's lots of people <laughs> playing around with these tools now. Um, and like you say, I think there has been all of this conversation about what it is, and that's helped maybe more so than you would have had in the past with so much information. So people are absorbing a yeah. little bit about what a, what a large language model is. But, I mean, firstly, do you think there is still a kind of real gap between you know that public understanding of of what it actually is and how it works which then feeds into this possible i think it's already there but you're kind of growing anxiety around it which then of course feeds into everything else about you know data security uh to the big things like you know that uh this is going to result in terminators you know in, <laughs> in 10 years or something yeah it's, it's a big thing isn't it because we can go really fast but the problem is if we don't take people with us you're going to create this mm. massive anxiety that yeah, is going I, to prevent I, prevent that becoming useful, isn't it? I, I think that there's. No, I think you're right. I, um, I think 
but things tend to change very slowly then very quickly and i think what, what we're probably seeing at the moment is a huge hype cycle of which then i think things will will probably slow down for a bit um and i think you'll you're more likely to see change in deregulated or unre- less regulated um sectors than you are in highly regulated ones so i think an interesting use case for for llms um and generative ai in within healthcare um is in things like um, LMR, so you know legal, medical, and regulatory clearances. You know if you can, if you can pull on a whole swathe of information um, and and automate a response or write copy in a way which is absolutely not misleading and adheres to all regulations, then that need to debate these things, kind of, as long as it's obviously got the right parameters, um, move, moves away. But I don't think you're going to start to see huge dramatic changes within within the industry in the next 12 to 24 months i think you'll see loads of really interesting experiments but i think what will happen is it'll change very slowly then very quickly whereas in other regulated markets i think you'll probably see more of a change um, and what i think what's interesting and important for healthcare companies is being able to get ready for that change so whilst it isn't immediately smashing them in the face, um, be ready for the point when it is and be ready to execute against against that, if that, if that makes sense. Um, there is going to be anxiety in any major te- technological revolution. And I genuinely think that's what this technology is. You know, it's the same as electricity. It's the same as um, factoring. Um, it's the same as tractors versus horses. It's it's a huge difference. and within it, it will generate, it will generate a huge amount of change and churn, but it'll also generate massive opportunities. And, you know, there are jobs that people do today that weren't available 10 years ago. It will be the same in another 10 years. It'll be the same in another two years. And again, it's like, that's why I think organisations to, to remove anxiety and to remove risk actually need to just, the, the, the best way to mitigate risk is to, is to experiment with into it. Um, you know, if you don't do that, then it's you've got to ask yourself the question of whether it's riskier to not do something than it is to do something. And I think in this case, it's riskier to not do something. Um, totally, yeah, totally more risky. <laughs> <laughs> and then talking about risks, um, one of the things that has happened since ChatGPT is this um, accelerated conversation around regulation mm. um, with you know big high profile summits around AI, you know the, the, a massive AI legislative framework yep. coming through in the EU, which has been going for a bit longer. Uh, so I think, you know, do, in your opinion, from an industry point of view, or just you know, just as a person, do you think that is the right way to go uh, to kind of bring in that regulation as soon as possible? Um, I think, as I said before, I, I think there needs to be a healthy mix of education and regulation. And I think there needs to be um, it needs to be a two way discussion. Um, I think that um, but you need to regulate it. And I think in, in the context of of, um, of chat GPT or LLMs, that's incredibly important because the, the last thing you want is some hallucinations. Um, suggesting things to people around their health. I mean, that just feels like a it would be a tragedy if that would happen. Um, so I think in the case of health, we, there needs to be um regulation but it also needs to be highly pragmatic it needs to allow people you know i used to say when i first joined um gsk consumer healthcare that um 
we should be experimenting all the time because at the heart of science is not knowing the answer. And then you know the answer because you experiment your way through it. Um, I just think that you're going to need to have very, very um, clear um, signposts and sandboxes in which to in which to then work out what the right regulation is versus just going so far that it stops people being able to experiment and, and deal with the change. I mean, it's, it, there's, there's a question here around how often it's reviewed and the rigidity of it. Um, as long as everybody absolutely has patient and consumer safety at the heart of, of things, um, privacy at the heart of things, and also with the flexibility to be able to change when we get new data, I think that's important. Um, but that's a really significant change for how healthcare has worked for the last X hundred years. Well, this is what from what I can gather, because um, you know I have colleagues that w work more closely on medtech uh, and AI. But yeah, the the challenge for regulators is coming up with a framework that can move with how AI works. It's not like an approval. You might have a variation in a few years or something. Yeah. But it's like a constantly evolving uh, operation. That's about that's about everybody being far more humble and saying we don't know the answer to this. And so we have to we have to um, we have to think about authority in different ways. We have to seek um, advice and get different perspectives in to help us solve this problem, um, because I think that certain groups within healthcare will always give their and they're all everyone is coming from the right place. I don't think anybody is approaching regulation and AI in an evil um, way. I think that everyone is trying to get to the best possible outcome, but I would encourage everybody to diversify the conversation. You know, you should be working with um, clinicians, regulators, um, historians, linguists, philosophers, ethicists, you know, you should be getting everybody in the room and, and having that kind of rebel ideas like the Matthew Sinod kind of rebel ideas approach to um, to, to problem solving, um, because I think the topic is too big and too important for it to just be one sided. I think with some, for someone with a degree in philosophy, I think I, I can support that, give more <laughs> jobs. To, give, <laughs> give more jobs to philosophers, yeah. <laughs>I hope you enjoyed this episode of Over the Counter. Listen out for more episodes every two weeks and check out the further reading section of the article published on hbw.sightline.com for related news and intelligence. And don't forget to follow, share and comment on Sightline podcasts on the platform of your choice. See you next time.